501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, the executive director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. Our co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the nonprofit ninja, is off on super secret ninja training at a tropical dojo. She's going to be back with us soon. Today's guest has Sizzle, um, and she helped me and my organization find ours a few years ago. Wendy Dyer has enjoyed working for hundreds of nonprofits over the last 22 years from north to south throughout the Midwest. Um, She's helped pump millions of dollars into our economy, um, expanding programs, building schools, health centers, cultural places, um, and bringing opportunity to thousands of people. Um, She's a frequent presenter and trainer. Uh, Wendy encourages agencies to find their sizzle and embrace her mantra. And Wendy, what is that mantra? The mantra is that people are giving money away anyway. It might as well be to you. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you. This is great. I love the concept of your radio program. Thanks. So now, how have people been traditionally giving their money away? Well, fundraising goes back for, for just forever and a day. And of course, the United States, we're very, very generous. But what we're seeing is just a tremendous change in how we need to approach donors and how people are giving their funds away. I mean, th- the typical method is through a direct mail solicitation and a mail solicitation and whatnot. Okay. And why do people give their money away? Well, it's pretty well documented. You know, they call it that warm glow. So we mm. as fundraisers, we have to think of ourselves as we're giving someone an opportunity, even though that sounds kind of Pollyannish, but don't forget to fail to ask for things because you ask and you shall shall receive. But it does, it, it's scientists, um, studies prove that it does release endorphins. It makes people happy. So they do get that warm glow. And most people in general really want to do good work. So that's another way to look at our job is we're trying to help people do the good that they want to do. And we have to realize um, individuals and foundations and companies they don't carry out programs that we do. You know, so like here at Mind's Eye, you have volunteers who are reading these meaningful periodicals to people who, who can no longer see. Donors can't do that, but they buy into the, the beauty of what you're doing, and therefore they're fulfilling their desire to, to do good because they're inspired by what you're doing and because they're asked in some form or fashion, they're asked. That's amazing. So now one of the things that you, you preach is getting sizzle. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us what that sizzle is. Uh-huh. How, do, how do we get that? Uh-huh. What is it? So, <laughs> so, you know, sizzle is is that, is the it. that, And some people will say, well, you've got to have some steak with the sizzle. Of course, none of these are made-up <laughs> terms that I've created. But it's really got to have sizzle. And, and the more we get in, in this competitive environment, and everyone's getting smarter and everyone's getting better, all the more reason that we've really got to hone in on our message. So I spent a lot of time with um, folks uh, on that, including when I worked with um, you, Marjorie, at Mind's Eye. But your sizzle's got to be compelling. And the one thing that we do wrong with our messages, we just, we rely on these statistics. And we have to realize, as people, we can't relate to an aggregate number. We can just relate to one. So, you know, Mother Teresa said, um, if you focus on the masses, I cannot act. But if you focus on the one, then I can. And so focusing on the one is really important. The statistics create the direness of the need, but we got to zero in on the one so we can relate. We also have to make it emotional. We're going to talk some more about that today, I know. But then the term I use is relatable. And I used to call that that word, I used to use the word proximity. And I got caught up in the geographical um, uh, dilemma of that because proximity with fundraising doesn't mean geography. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, the tsunami happened in Southeast Asia and the compelling, oh my gosh, when people just outpoured their dollars for it because they felt close. They could relate to what was going on there. Um, Katrina, of course, was in our, our country, but people could relate to it. So my term, and this is not even a term, 
It's um, relatability. Every time <laughs> I type it out all different ways, it always comes up on spell check. Got to tell your, your computer, this is a word. But I should. I should <laughs> say chill out. Um, but we have to be able to relate. So if I'm a, um, a domestic violence shelter and I've never experienced that myself as a donor nor have my friends or family, you have to take me there. So in our fundraising, in our, in our sizzle, we have to have people be able to relate to this topic. And then the other um, term I've been really trying to work with people on, we have to tenderize our language. We have to... We have to make ourselves be able to see. So if, if you're a food pantry and you want to describe how horrible it is for um, children in the summer because they don't get the free lunch from school and say they live in these food deserts, if you just tell me that, I, I don't get that. But if you tell me that the, the family, the sophomore is always bummed out when there's no more Cheerios when they come into the food pantry. Do you see how that word yeah. Cheerios? I can understand that. They're tenderizing that very poignant story anyway, but that the fact, so now when I go to the grocery store, I see that box of cheers, I'm going to automatically remember that family at the food pantry. Yeah, you actually bring a whole nother sense into the, you know, I'm not just hearing it, now I'm tasting the Cheerios, and like, yeah, true. What, if, what if I don't have those Cheerios? Right, you, you make know. it You make it real. So you yeah. got to relate, it's got to be emotional, you got to have people be able to relate to it, and then you have to tenderize it. Awesome. So now, there is a lot of money out there. Um, we're get, we've got our sizzle. We're going after that money. Um, how, how do we how do we work on that tenderization? Like, what's what are the facts behind that? How how does that make that happen? Okay, uh, no good question. So I got excited, and as Marjorie pointed out, I've been a veteran fundraiser twenty two years now. This spring, and try I'm, I'm a consummate student of this field. I'm always looking for things to learn by, and I. What got me into studying a sizzle and emotions and fundraising was actually a very roundabout way. I completely stunk in economics in college, macro and micro. And oh. I was getting <laughs> Fs and Ds. And by the grace of God, my friend was the daughter of the professor. So I ended up getting a C. But ever since that horrible experience, um, I've held um, economists in just amazing high regard. And I thought they can do anything. They're just like brilliant geniuses. And then what happened was the recession hit. Mm. and nobody knew what to do. And I thought, well, thank God for the economists. They're going <laughs> to figure out this whole mess. And then as I discovered, through, now some of them had a direction, but by and large, the economists said, hey, man, this is all rooted in emotion. So these financial decisions, a lot of it was based in emotional decision-making. So I'm like, how can that possibly be? Shattered my, my theories on, on economists, and I started digging into it more. And what I learned was every decision that we make, soft decision, hard decision, is at the end rooted in emotion. So the analytics come in, the stats come in, but when that decision's made, hardcore business decision, that emotion kicks in. So I started studying in uh, fundraising, well, what emotions do you want to use and what do you not want to use? So as the research indicated, the emotion that you want to avoid is actually pity. And mm. if we think about that, um, nobody likes to be put in a pitiful light. So if you see something yeah. that looks pitiful, what's your... I I'm looking away. Immediately. I, right. Gone. <laughs> I don't want to see this. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to see it. So then if you dig deeper, what's the emotion that you want to use? And they say the, that emotion is anger. So now somebody once told me, well, anger is actually a secondary emotion. So, okay. So it <laughs> may not be primary. But um, what happens when you see something that's angry, Marjorie? It, it gets my blood boiling and I want to fix it. Right. So it, I think as humans, like that is, that's one of our main things is we want to fix it. We're pity. Like, yeah, you're right. We do want to look away. Right. We want to look away from the homeless guy that's on the street with a sign. But we want to fix it if we see him getting beat up. Right. You know, which is terrible. We probably shouldn't want either of those things. No, but. no, no, of course. But but <laughs> yeah. you have to. And this is not angry that you're enraged per se, but mm -hmm. something's not right. So if we look mm -hmm. at the back of the example of the food pantry with the kid without any 
any food. And actually, some of the kids spend their summer scrounging for food. That's another little tenderizing point that people oh, wow. don't, gives you an image you wouldn't have expected. Um, that's not right. No. You know, and, and for like Mind's Eye again, mm -hmm. um, it's not right that these people have lost their favorite. If I went without reading my newspaper, comic strips mostly, <laughs> and I do word jumble, um, that would be devastating. So it's not right. So what we do in what, as these nonprofits, we're all fixing some kind of wrong. We're making something better. We're eliminating something. We're doing something. And we're trying to trigger that anger reflux because it's not right that blank. Some You should be able to fill in that, that line. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah, we can definitely do a lot of that. Now, give me some examples of some some what's that, what's not right sort of things. Like how, like, can we do a couple of those? Well, okay. So um, uh, if you're, um, well, let's go back to the to the food pantry. Mm -hmm. Why are, why do they exist? Because it's not right that what? It's not right that people can't, don't have enough food to eat. Right. I mean, that's terrible in this country, right? Well, would people don't realize there's a lot of hunger here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. the, we think we think of famines and we think of Africa. And by the way, back to one of uh, the points earlier in Africa, it's proven that if they show that the aggregate number of people in starvation through raising money never works as effectively as showing the one person. Wow. So I wouldn't use that as an example. Um, child abuse prevention. It's not right that sh that home is the scariest place for a child. And that higher education attainment. It's not right that people who with the with the good fortune to go to college will earn a million dollars more than those who just because of the zip code that they're born in. Yeah. I mean, every organization should be able to fill that line in and get inspired by what they're fixing. And I guess that leads you right to to your sizzle of, of what your organization does. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Right. And you can jump off the, the 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 bandwagon with sizzle very quickly. If you, yeah. you've got to really hone in, because it's so easy to let go of that really critical message. Okay, excellent. So do you want to tell us about uh, Jamila Boyle, Jamila Boyden? Yeah. Bolden? So, oh, so sorry, Jamila Bolden. So after, um, so our, our region, as you know, has been caught in in this um, serious um, problem with after the the shooting death of Michael Brown in in Ferguson, mm -hmm. and shortly after that, it's brought the whole nation and the world's attention to the social injustices that we're seeing right right before us. So, again, always looking for how do I make this make sense? How do I when you fundraise, you're not you're not you know money's just the it's just the pathway. It's, it's not the outcome. So we, we dollar seekers are doing it for the outcome. And so I'm always looking for what, how can we help people get to the outcome better? And so um, this was a, couple, a case where you wouldn't think it had anything to do with fundraising, but um, after Michael Brown's um, uh, death, um, last fall there was a, a nine-year-old girl in our town named Jamila Bolden. And she, as the, the news report said, and I'll read this to you, it said, nine-year-old Jamila was lying on her mother's bed doing homework when shots rang through the window, killing her and wounding her mother in the leg. Mm. So I'll just say that again. Nine-year-old Jamila was lying on her mother's bed doing homework when shots rang through the window, killing her and wounding her mother in the leg. So if we kind of retrace what we're talking about here, the tenderizing, the um, relatability, I'll ask you, Marjorie, mm -hmm. what, what one word in there helps you really relate to Jamila. I think it's that homework word, right? Because? Because you know, I've done my homework. You know, I've sat on my mom's bed with my mom right. working on that homework. Right. And wow, even the thought that a kid is unsafe doing homework. Yeah, so you may, not have, yeah, you may not have lived or lived in the scary neighborhood, mm -hmm. but golly, you did homework because you were once a nine-year-old girl doing homework. Mm -hmm. So if we take that one word out, nine-year-old Jamila was lying on her mother's bed when shots rang through the window, killing her and wounded her mother in the leg. That one word connects us to her. Now, for mm -hmm. some people, it's going to be 
you know, the tenderness she was laying on a mother's bed. However, in fundraising, we want to avoid red flags. Does mm-hmm. she not have a bed of her own? Was she perhaps homeless? Were they living with her? Mm-hmm. So these are the sizzle kind of things. Now, the community came out and, and really supported this family financially. They paid for the little deer, deer's funeral and stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. life permanently lost. But um, this really struck me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible story, but it, it sounds like we can really learn some things through that. Now, what about um, Daniel Cabrera? Tell us about him. Yeah, so another case was this. This is a Filipino boy. I'm not really sure where he was, but I stumbled upon this, not looking for it, because there's fundraising lessons everywhere you go. Yeah, one of the things we find about Wendy is she is a huge reader. She <laughs> reads any anything you go to with Wendy. If you ever see her in person, she will be pulling out newspaper articles, newsletter <laughs> articles, like magazines. I, I don't know when you find time to work. You must read all the time, <laughs> too. Which this. is great. <laughs> But I came upon the, this this little guy, and there was a photo of him, and, and he's sitting there at this short table, kind of on a on a stool of sorts. Maybe he's sitting on the ground. Anyway, his name is Daniel Cabrera, and as his tagline went, it said, a homeless Filipino boy broke hearts around the world in July when he was photographed studying on the sidewalk by the light of the McDonald's restaurant. Oh. Now, if you look at this photo, and you can Google it, well, I'm gonna jump ahead to my answer here. I'm mm-hmm. gonna ask Marjorie. What's relatable about this? Well, I think that, that McDonald's. I mean, can you imagine sitting outside of your McDonald's doing, doing, he was doing homework there? Well, see, <laughs> well, <laughs> homework doesn't strike us here yeah. where it didn't hurt, so mm-hmm. we've got kind of a similar, but yeah. we all can relate to McDonald's. Yeah, we've all got one. Yeah. Within, you know, bicycle riding distance. And I never understood how, <laughs> a, how a toddler can eat a hamburger the first time in their life and like it mm-hmm. from McDonald's. <laughs> But they do. It's a it's a universal. <laughs> um, but right, so right there, we have this relatability built in here, and I can't even tell you what fundraising response has been. This this little guy, his whole class, he has a college educa- education ahead of him. Yeah, from a donor who stepped up. This cl- McDonald's like set up a bookstore or something. <laughs> um, there, the outpouring of support. My opinion, and you're feeling the same. It sounds mm-hmm. like that we could relate to him because he was at a McDonald's restaurant when there mm-hmm. was no golden arches anywhere nearby. Yeah, that picture has no golden arches in it. And I would imagine if that story, even the backdrop was more, you know, hovel-like or, you know, just kind of a tenement or something like that, I don't know if we would have the same reaction to that story. Probably not. Which is also very sad. Because, okay, now, now <laughs> interesting you say that. So relative to income, mm-hmm. most generous people are... Uh, as I, and I know our middle class and our poorer people. Right. So you so mentioned yeah. the tenement. Mm-hmm. So had it been in a tenement, they probably would have gotten that. So why why are the lower and middle income people more compassionate? Do you reckon? You know that I've thought about that a lot, and I think what I've always kind of thought in my kind of working theory is, and I hope I don't piss off or make any of donors upset. Gosh, <laughs> thank goodness this is a podcast, not a real radio. Um, is I, I think that a lot of times the the further that you get away from suffering and, and when you get more money you can you can get away from suffering. You don't have to take you know you don't have to go see public services at all. You don't you don't need services. You can you can bury yourself away from that. And if you're not seeing it, mm-hmm. you can forget that it exists. Mm-hmm. And you write your hundred dollar check like you did when you were middle income. Mm-hmm. And that was that was good and I did a good thing. Mm-hmm. And when you know right now you could write a, a much bigger check. And make a lot, lot bigger difference to mm-hmm. a lot of places. That's my work in theory. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, so it's um, evidence shows that the wealthier one gets, the less empathy one has. Wow, and I think yeah. you are correct in that 
the lower income people, they have experienced hardship. They, they get it. They understand. That's why they give what they can. And relative to their incomes, they are indeed a lot more generous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now what can we do to maybe pull on the heartstrings of those folks a little bit more, maybe get more money out of the, you know, what, what's, I, you know, you look at Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Warren Buffett, they're giving away a lot of money. Yeah. What, what how, how are we getting, how can I get some of that? <laughs> <laughs> I know how can I get be trick questions? How can I get, a, get some <laughs> Oprah money? <laughs> Oprah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, nonprofits who've been on Oprah, by and large, haven't gotten any money from that. Really? Right. Wow. Yeah. I know. Actually, I have heard of like the Oprah bump where like there's something good happens and uh -huh. then it just totally falls away. And a lot of times it's almost, it seems like a winning the lottery sort of situation. Not in a good way. You know, yeah. where people win the lottery and then like within two or three years they're bankrupt. Right. And so that's kind of scary. Maybe we shouldn't be on Oprah. Well, no, but but, <laughs> but but what Oprah does provide, though, is she provides that a massive awareness. So, And we'll get back to the wealthy people in a mm -hmm. second. But speaking of massive awareness, let's talk about the bucket challenge. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Like, what a what a tool. I, I don't even know how. Do you know how that started? Because I, I don't think I ever heard of, like, who was the first person that threw some ice on their head. I'd probably say it wrong. It was indeed started by the, the ALS Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, which I, wow. I thought it maybe That's was. That's surprising. Yeah. And was it a certain person? We could we could Google mm -hmm. it right here and figure it out. But it just went viral. So mm -hmm. we're in, we should do a show on the whole changing fundraising landscape because yeah. we're in such a different realm now. Um you know, that, that was just wild. Yeah. So how do you get money from wealthy people? Well, everybody wants to get money from wealthy people. Yes. So um, <laughs> we want the big check. I mean, we love the small checks, but we really want that, like, nice $120,000 check. Yeah. It would be great. Right. <laughs> um, well, f a couple thoughts. Um, in the presence of people of wealth and not, always be ready with what those big dollars will do. Mm -hmm. One thing that we don't do is we don't let our donors aware of why the big dollars are needed. Um, I worked with an early childhood education place and they even had a gap of every child they served was $6,000, which to them was insurmountable. Yeah. There, um, there were a hundred or so kids. Nobody knew that. Oh, so wow. So that's not your $100,000 check. But what mm -hmm. we started doing was just making people aware that every year we have to raise $6,000 per child to fill the Head Start and the Early Head Start gap. Wow. And and now by the the constant um, reinforcement and repeating of that, they've got multiple $6,000 um, scholarship donors. Oh, that's amazing. So the other thought I had that comes to mind, um, I had a, a client down in um, Mississippi, actually, a Katrina responder. And by the way, Katrina, number one, most, quote, successful natural maid disaster fundraiser of all time. Wow. But you'll be surprised to know the disaster's long from over down there. Yeah, it's I know I have friends who have been down there recently and still just about anything that happens, it's yeah, Katrina, with this, this, that was kind of the root cause of what's going on here. Yeah, and every other, every other piece of property is vacant. Mm -hmm. These are well, so anyway, yeah. a wonderful um, executive director down there, and we had done the whole wealth screening, and we saw people worth, should be capable of giving a million dollars, but they were giving them a thousand and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and so she got a check for one of her from one of her donors that was capable of giving a, a lot of money for five thousand. Her question to me was, "How do I make that twenty five thousand right now?" Ooh, and so it's it's a fair question. That's a fair question. Yeah, and we <laughs> you know it's, we get pumped up when we get these checks. And I said, "Well, right now, all you can do is do exemplary stewardship." Mm -hmm. And we are so bad at stewardship in general. If we, I, I, I maintain that if we turned the, t the tables, shifted all of our focus to better stewardship, we wouldn't be having the challenges that we're having in fundraising. Mm. So that comes to mind. She needs to steward that gift in order to get the better and bigger gift. The other thing I'll say, 
if your organization has uh, events and you know I mentioned the six thousand dollars that nobody knew about for that gap for the kids but if if you have an event like give an example of an event you've gone to recently Oh gosh! Recently, I actually the most cool event I was at recently was a dodgeball tournament. Okay. On Washington Avenue, which is kind of which is a kind of a busy thoroughfare in St. Louis. Did anybody get stung in the thigh? It, it, it was <laughs> it was pretty intense. The teams were out to play. Because <laughs> they've outlawed that in schools, you know. Oh really? Yes, dodgeball. Because wow. I mean, it's probably smart. <laughs> um, what was the price of that event? Oh, it was it was free event, and okay. then I'm assuming that there that there was sponsorships and stuff because they were they were walking around with, um, you know, with raffle tickets and things like that. Okay. I think was their kind of their side business. Okay. Uh, honestly, it was a really cool event. Probably not a great fundraiser. Okay, because so. without naming the organization, I couldn't even. Okay, well, so <laughs> I what, know there was a was charity. It was free. Mm-hmm. It was free. So what? It, so there's psychology and price points, mm-hmm. right? What's your price point for that charity? Zero. Free. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you have um, a gala. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are addicted to these galas. And I have two yeah. goals in life, never work retail, never run an event, because I'd be bad at both. <laughs> but I recognize the importance of both. Um, and your your ticket is, give me an idea of a ticket price. So our ticket right now is, is right at $125. Okay. So if someone doesn't know anything else about what your needs are, mm-hmm. and they come in, and they're doing good, right? They're mm-hmm. coming to the dinner. They think they're raising, helping raise. What's their price point for you? It's one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Right. Maybe two fifty if they came with their spouse. Okay, all right. <laughs> but you're still at two fifty. Yeah. So I think that we need we have a long way to go in elevating people's. It doesn't mean that they're going to give it, mm-hmm. but making sure that on your literature and your materials and your website, you have true costs in there because mm-hmm. it's not the person. The donor should not have any. They're at the level where we put them. In okay. Essence. Okay. So now yeah. back to gain to Warren Buffett. Who would I rather try to get money? I think I'd. Ra- oh, that wasn't a question, but I'm changing it to that. Okay, that's fine. I think it'd be <laughs> easier to approach Warren Buffett than any of the others. Yeah, he seems. I mean, he he's just kind of got this fuzzy grandpa mm-hmm. look to him. Right. Like I feel like I could sit down and have a nice talk with him. Right. And then yeah. we're going to talk about effective altruism whenever you're ready. Oh yeah, that, we better get to that. <laughs> that th- that's where the Zuckerberg and the Gates come in. Yeah. So now tell me. Okay. So tell me about effective altruism because that. This kind of, I feel like this takes the um, the empathy that we've been talking about, the tenderizing, and really turns the whole game on its head. Right. In a lot of ways. So tell me about effective yeah. altruism. What yeah. is it? Yeah. Where did it come from? Right. So um, I was reading one of my nerd mags or publications, <laughs> as Marjorie <laughs> pointed out earlier, and I saw this term, and it was talking about, it's, it's, so it, it's, it's, it's really not a movement it's more of a philosophy mm-hmm. so one of the founders is peter singer who you guys might remember as the author of animal farm yes and he's one of the big proponents of effective altruism they call it generosity for nerds and what they as i'm saying in the sizzle and emotion that we know is compelling and spurs people to action what they say is and i i say chill on st- the statistics they say use that evidence and analysis to make your fundraising decisions so you can support as many people as as possible, and they challenge you to do the most good that you can in the world. In the world, and they do talk about emotion, and they say we should learn to divorce ourselves, our generosity from emotion, because we're making improper decisions. So, if I have ten thousand dollars that I'm fortunate mm-hmm. to give, am I better investing that in my local food pantry, which could go for mm-hmm. many boxes of Cheerios, a lot of Cheerios there, <laughs> wow. and milk, um, or would I be better off? Would my my would the world be better subserved if I gave that to like a malaria program mm. where it bought uh, a million nets that stopped actually malaria. So 
what that's what what they're trying to to have people actually start to to think about. And it's popular with some high profile people like Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. Um, I can't say they're into effective altruism, but they mm-hmm. are definitely they're mentioned in a there was a great article in the New York Times about um by um Jamil Zaki. It was an op-ed piece that he did that was really good. And then there's also a, a source called Refine the Mind that speaks to it and um, um, GiveWell, which actually ranks charities around the world. I don't believe any of them are in the U.S. because these are no. the... Yeah, I think I was just looking at that list. And so the four that they, they, they really recommend and then all of their honor mentions, all of them are solving some sort of problem in Africa. Um, and mostly things like malaria or um, there were a couple couple other worm-based or bug-based diseases right and uh you know all of them were working on on those specific issues where if you invest a little bit of money you're seeing a huge save you're you're saving lives which was really interesting definitely so what what they would say what the ea people would say is that the most effective charities that marjorie's pointing out particularly those four make a thousand times the impact of the least effective charity i mean that's Huge, yeah, <laughs> that's huge. They say that a thousand a thousand dollar gift to an ineffective charity equals one dollar gift to a good one. Wow! So you could give a dollar to a good charity, the mm-hmm. same effect as giving a thousand dollars to an ineffective charity. So some of this is kind of yeah. scary because you think, oh my God, ninety nine percent of all the charities could be gone. And that's where you know we're, we're this outcome based fundraising. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's okay to stop suffering. I mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a little different in that regard. We don't yeah. always have to change the world in our philanthropy. Mm-hmm. It's okay to stop somebody from getting on the streets and being cold and wet that night. Yeah. Well, and and quality of life is is just as important as quantity of life. I think in in a lot of ways, um, because you know now we've got these, we've we've got a large group of people in Africa who are alive now. And now what? Because obviously there's there's extreme poverty there. Right. What, are, what are we doing then to build them up after the after the fact, after we've saved their life? Well, that's true. So that's where um, programmatically we're in a transformation as well. So the mm-hmm. old response to that used to be send barges of grain and rice. Mm. over, the, And then we see the stories. They were rotting in, in, the, yeah. in the, the rivers and tribu- what, tributaries, whatever, stolen by pirates or whatever. That's the old reaction to famine. Now wow. it's give a goat. Mm-hmm. If oh you, yeah! If you give one family a goat, mm-hmm. okay. give one. What happens to the goat? What do you mm-hmm. get if you give uh, if you, if someone has a goat? What do you get? You can get milk, milk from goat. Right. Yeah, the goat milk and right. then goat cheese, my favorite. Right. Okay. <laughs> then you bring in you bring in another goat. What happens when two goats get together? Uh, hopefully, if it's a mommy goat and a daddy goat, you're going to get baby goats. <laughs> right. <laughs> Suddenly, you have a village of goats. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So we're in the f- you know the fundraising field, mm-hmm. but programmatically we got to transform ourselves as well because mm-hmm. again people are getting smarter so our our approaches to these problems like these population problems and famines are really really changing but to back to um, effective altruism what they advise us to do is like don't give to like a, a cancer place just because you knew somebody who died because of cancer now mm-hmm. we've all lost people who have died because of cancer that's why yeah. we support can- we all want a cure to cancer well and that's why really for wife so it's just amazing everywhere it goes Coleman yeah Coleman oh my gosh yeah I, everybody's there because w- talk about relatability and mm-hmm. tenderizing it yeah you g- so but what what they're saying is you don't do it just because you can relate to it so they're trying to mm-hmm. get us to avoid emotion intuition or brand loyalty in our fundraising decisions interestingly when you look at those four charities that Marjorie mentioned um, over in Africa, they do use emotion to get the dollars. I think what they're really trying to say is we need to be a little bit more academic in our in our choices of where where yeah. we give. But again, it goes back to I, I think it's it's 
it's okay to stop the suffering. We don't always have to change the world. Yeah, and actually it was interesting in talking about the tenderizing. I clicked on the website of a couple of those charities and, you know, it, it was. It was one person on their website that, you know, this is the person you're saving with this right. net. You know, right. here's it, the little girl that's in a hut that you're like, you're They'll let you follow them. What, what wasn't yeah. there that they, they even take like a video of the delivery of the net or something like that? Oh, I didn't even get to that part, but yeah. yeah. See, so they've so. got, really, they've got the tricks. <laughs> so what we're talking about today is that the emotion, it's still mm -hmm. getting, bringing that person to the one. They're not just giving their statistical stuff. Yeah. And so, well, and you understand, I think anybody out there understands when you've got a bigger, bigger donor, they want to see bigger impacts of, and the impact of their dollars. It's hard for me to show what the impact of $50 does to my organization because it, you know, it goes into the aggregate. It, it, you know, turns on lights and things like that. I know that if I have a $50,000 donor, though, I've got to be able to show what $50,000 can do at this place. Unfortunately, so. given what we're, no, though, so there are 71, so I'm a Generation Xer. Mm -hmm. You're a millennial? Yeah, I'm right on the edge. Okay, so you're on the, so yeah. the, um, there's 71 million of you guys. Yeah. And they're going to be responding very differently. And mm -hmm. I think that we run a risk if we don't show what the $50 did, because mm -hmm. the $50 will turn to the 500 to the 5000 to the 500000 Yeah. Well, yeah, if you don't start people young, you know, starting to go through your, your cycle with you, you know, and I think that's why it's so, I think that's why young groups are so popular, you know, young friends or whatever. Mm -hmm, true. A and I'm starting to find that they don't want to just sit and drink all the time. No. Not all the time. It gets old after yeah. a while. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's important to, to constantly be reaching people where they are, though. Right. And they, they still want to know where their dollars went. Mm -hmm. and, and, Absolutely. and the millennials talk about their the selfishness of society, and they want mm -hmm. to have an end with their decision making. And for them, 50 bucks is a pretty big oh, yeah. gift. Yeah. When you're making $30,000 a year, $50 is a... A significant contribution. Several trips to Starbucks. It is. <laughs> and sometimes those folks don't even get to go to Starbucks. It's right. that bad. <laughs> right, right. So I think we have to wrap it up. Okay. Um, but thank you so much for oh, coming in today. How, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about this, learn sure. more about you know fundraising in general, how, sure. how should they contact you? Sure. It's, so it's super simple. It's um, wendydyer.com, W-E-N-D-Y-D-Y-E-R.com. Um, it's my giving back to the community. I've been blessed to work on meet great people like Marjorie and work on neat projects, and I'd be very happy to help people through their journey. Awesome. Thank you again. And so this has been 501 Crossroads. Um, well, thank you for joining us. We are recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio, and it's produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore, and co-host Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite app is and subscribe. Leave us some feedback so other people can find us. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Um, thank you for listening, and remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes. <laughs>